You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I've had to be with you folks these past few days, and uh, Brother Haley and Miss Melanie have taken good care of us, and I so appreciate them, and thank you all for your kindness. And uh, please pray, I'll be flying back home in the morning, and as the meeting continues, we'll be praying that the Lord will bless and you'll have a great time together. Mark chapter number two, and I just want to share a few thoughts with you uh, this evening. Every morning at Macedonia at nine o'clock, we have devotions with our staff. And the other morning I was doing devotions, it was my turn, and I was reading this passage of scripture and I had a thought that I wanted to share with them and a little lesson that I wanted to share with the folks there uh, that gathered for the staff. And as I read it, I thought, well, there's another little lesson we could share. So I saved that for the next day. And then I thought, well, there's another one. And so I've got three lessons from four men that I want to share with you this evening. And uh, they may be a little scattered, but I hope the Lord will use it to give you a help and uh, to be a blessing to you this evening. Mark chapter number two, let's begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this privilege, Lord, this opportunity that we come to share just a portion of the Word of God. And Lord, I pray in these few moments, Lord, that you'd use the words that I have to say. Lord, may they be your words. May they be pleasing to you. May they be a help and a challenge to your people. And Lord, for all that you accomplish through us, we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I love to learn little lessons. I have to learn little lessons because I'm not quite there to understand big lessons yet. But I love to learn little lessons, and I love to learn little lessons through everyday things. Because there's something you can learn in everything. The other day we were having, and again, remember, preacher talks the other day means either two weeks ago or four years ago or who knows when. Because we don't remember when, it's just a good story. But the other day we were having a big Bradford pear tree cut out of our yard and uh, cut down. And those are big trees. I don't know if you have them here. They grow up real big and tall and then they fall on your property and destroy stuff. So we were having one cut down. It was a big old tree. And I was watching that and thinking about different lessons you could learn about. And uh, different things like, man, one man with a chainsaw sure can make a big mess. 
that a lot of people have to clean up. And I thought about, boy, one person can make a big mess that takes a lot of people to clean up. There's a lot of different lessons you can learn through stuff like that. But I began to read this portion of Scripture, and I thought about some of the lessons that we read here, some of the things that you can learn as you read in Mark chapter number 2. And there's three things I want to share with you real quickly this evening. Number one, the first lesson I want you to understand is this. Friends matter. Friends matter matter now i know you're probably thinking brother campbell we've heard this portion of scripture we've heard preaching from this portion of scripture but we've never really heard it preached about his friends and i also understand that a lot of times we say well that's for the teenagers can i tell you something that i have learned as i've gotten a little older and as i have children and a family i am convinced today that peer pressure is greater as an adult in this social media age that we live in than it's ever was as a teenager. Now, I didn't have social media growing up. Let's all praise God for a moment. My Lord was taking good care of me. But I'm convinced in this day and age when we have social media and everything where we compare each other and we compare our vacations and we compare our new cars and we compare our houses and everything else going on, there is a great deal of peer pressure as adults. The other day, not too, I mean, just a few weeks ago, and that really was a few weeks ago, I remember it's summertime, and I'm looking at everybody going to all these fancy places and doing all these vacations, and I began to think to myself, boy, I am a rotten dad, I'm a rotten husband, I'm probably the worst of the worst because we're not going to Disney World, we're not going to Paris, we're not going to Brazil, we're not going to any of these places. And the only reason I thought that is because I saw everybody else doing it. Friends matter. You say, well, how does that uh, compare? How does that relate? Well, consider these men, these four men. You know what they did? They got a corner of the bed and they said, let's take our friend to see Jesus. Let's take our friend to see the great physician. They weren't interested in taking him to the greatest doctor in town, but they were interested in taking him to the great physician. They were interested in taking him to somebody that could help him. You know the kind of friends you need? The friends that are going to help you get to Jesus. You know the kind of friends you need? The friends that are going to help you draw closer to the Lord. You don't need friends that's going to encourage you uh, to spend all your money on a boat or, or a camping trip or Disney World or any of those things. You need friends that's going to encourage you to know something about the Lord. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't be friends with lost people. Of course, we're around them all the time. We, we need to be friendly to them. We need to be acquaintance. But don't let them be your primary source of influence. Have you some friends that know something about the Lord? Have you some friends that's going to help you get to Jesus? Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Find you some friends that will sharpen you in your Christian life. And the inverse of that is also true. You need to be that kind of friend. You need to be the kind of friend that's going to get people to Jesus. You need to be the kind of friend that's going to help others know more about the Lord. You need to be the kind of friend that's going to help somebody else grow in their Christian life. When you get together with your friends, and when I get together with my friends, what is the conversation? What is the topic of influence? Friends matter. I remember hearing, we've talked a lot about Brother Barker. I remember growing up at teen camp every year and hearing Bar Dr. Barker say, you are now or you soon will be what your friends are. Can I tell you, that don't just apply to teenagers. That applies to all of us. And so I see a lesson of these men that cared enough about their friend to get him to Jesus, and I'm reminded that friends matter. But then number two, I'm also reminded that faith is materialized. 
faith is materialized. And what I mean by that is this. Faith will always become visible. It is made real. Faith in and of itself is invisible, but I believe faith will be materialized. It will be seen. The scriptures teach us in James chapter 2 and verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And verse 20, James says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You see, you can talk about faith all you want to, and you can talk about having faith, and you can talk about, but talk is cheap. And cheap talk is not faith. When your faith gives way to works, then you know it's real. And when your faith gives way to works, it becomes visible. Think about those four men. What good would have done for them to tell their friend, hey, guess what, brother? Jesus is down at Peter's house. If you can figure out a way to get down there, we know he'll heal you. We have faith that he'll heal you. They didn't just say it. They didn't just tell him. They did something about it. It would have done no good for them just to say, hey, Jesus is down there. We have faith. If you can get down there, he'll heal you. It would have been useless. Their friend would have been just as paralyzed because he didn't have any way to get there. Their talk would not have healed their friend. They had to put their faith into action for their friend to get healing. They had to put their faith into action. And so they each grabbed a corner of the bed and carried him to Jesus. They began to work. And can I ask you a question this evening? And please know I'm not trying to be uh, judgmental or or, or mean-spirited. And I hope it doesn't come across that way. But let me ask you, when's the last time we stopped talking about doing things for God and grabbed a corner of the bed and started walking? Talk is cheap. Get busy. Get busy. I mean, think about these men and their faith. These men dared to do what was difficult. They didn't put him in the back of an ambulance and drive him to Jesus. They carried him. I don't know how big the man was, and I don't know how long the journey was, but I know this, it wasn't easy. It couldn't have been easy. And can you imagine the disappointment as they got to the door of the house and they realized it was full? Now what are we going to do? Can you imagine lugging this man on this stretcher up to the roof? Faith was difficult. Their faith dared them to do what was difficult. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 5 of Mark chapter 2. When Jesus saw their what? Faith. He saw it. It was visible. It was made visible. Their faith, faith, they dared to do what was difficult. These men dared to do what was unusual. Most people go in through the door. Occasionally, they'll come in through the window, especially if you live in Atlanta. That's not the visitors you want. But these men came in through the roof. How many of you have ever had a visitor come in through the roof? That's unusual. They had to think outside the box a little bit. They had to do what was unusual. Sometimes faith requires us to do things that are a little unusual to others. They're a little outside of what we're used to. But these men had to do the unusual in order to get their friend to Jesus. They had to do what was costly. You know, faith will sometimes cost you something. You say, what was costly? They probably had to fix the man's roof. I mean, they tore up the man's roof. Well, but, you know, Jesus healed our friend, so good luck with that. Uh I'm sure your homeowners will take care of it. No, I'm not following that. You're getting up there and fixing it. 
I guarantee you they didn't stop and ask permission before they started tearing that roof apart. And they probably said, we'll probably have to fix this, fellas, but it's worth it. Faith can be costly. It can cost you something. A, listen, a faith that won't cost you anything isn't worth anything anyway. Their faith was costly. Friends matter. Faith is materialized. And number three, forgiveness is often minimalized. Forgiveness is often minimalized. Look at the latter part of verse number five. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I wonder if when Jesus said that, the heart of these four men didn't drop just a little bit and say, that is not what we came for. We didn't ask for that. We wanted him to walk. We wanted him to get up and walk. We didn't ask about forgiveness. We wanted him to get up and walk. Lord, what are you doing? You know why? Because we so overlook the spiritual and the eternal sometimes. And all we see is the physical. Listen, please don't misunderstand me because I'm there. I'm with you. But when we pray, how often do we pray for the physical and neglect the spiritual? Our prayer lists are full of people that are, that are sick, and we should pray for them. But how often do we pray for the spiritual needs? This physical is temporary at best. That eternal is what's going to last. And we, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we so overlook the need for the forgiveness of sins and we so overlook the spiritual because we're focused on the physical. Don't see people for their physical. Don't think about and pray for them, but don't forget the spiritual needs. Don't forget what they really need. Jesus knew what this man really needed. His greatest need wasn't to get up and walk. His greatest need was to be forgiven of his sin. Now, later on, so that everybody will be happy, Jesus says, get up and walk. Okay, everybody happy now. But the greatest need this man had was forgiveness. And the greatest need this man had is so often the thing we overlook the most. Friends matter. Faith is materialized. And forgiveness is often minimalized. Father, we thank you again for the privilege that's been ours to open your word this evening. Lord, I pray you'd work in the remainder of the service. Lord, bless Dr. Caudill as he preaches. Use him in a great and mighty way, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Satisfied with me. Oh, God, help us to live in such a manner that he would be satisfied with us. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would please, tonight to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 3. And with the help of the Lord, in just a few moments, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14 of the chapter and be reading through verse number 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. Your pastor and your pastor's wife, they have been so accommodating to all of us. And I know I speak for Dr. Campbell, for all of us visiting from Macedonia it has been our joy to have been here during these days. Now, I'm excited, Lord willing, about the service tomorrow night. I trust you've already made plans to be here. Bring someone with you. And then, Lord willing, should the Lord's Day is coming, we'll be back on Wednesday night. Now, from what I understand, if Jesus comes back again, Brother Campbell's going to be coming back to finish preaching the meeting. And so, <laughs> you'll get that later, maybe. If Jesus comes back, I'm going to be gone. Amen. So praise the Lord for that. 
And uh, you know, I, I saw some folks out there when I made that statement, they went, really? Amen. I'll make plans for that. I hope you'll be with me when Jesus comes again. Have you found your place in Revelation chapter 3? If so, would you please stand as we read together tonight? Look, if you would please, verse number 14, Revelation chapter number 3. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, and open the door, I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. I want to call your attention, if I may, to verse number 20 of Revelation chapter 3, as this verse of Scripture will be used as the key text of the message that God has laid on my heart for this evening's service. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. The Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. With God's help tonight, I, I want to preach a message I could not get away from while seeking God's will for this service tonight. I want to preach on the thought, the tragedy of leaving Jesus at the door. And I want to encourage you this evening to open your ears of faith. I believe as you and I open our ears of faith tonight, we will hear Jesus knocking at our heart's door. The tragedy of leaving him at the door. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, what a blessing it has already been to have been here tonight. I want to thank you for the song, the wonderful preaching from the Word of God that has so encouraged and motivated us to do our part in getting others to you. But Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the message that you would have me to preach tonight. And Father, therefore, I pray you do what I cannot do. Lord, I can do my best, and I could have studied, and I could have prepared. But Lord, I cannot open the hearts of these dear people. But Lord, you can. And I pray you would do in this service tonight what I do not have within my power to do. 
And Lord, I pray that you would do it for your honor and for your glory. For I'm nothing without thee. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Of course, this final book of the Bible is called the Revelation, which of course stems from the Greek word apocalypse and simply means an unveiling. The word literally means to show or to expose to view as the unveiling of a painting or a work of art is a revelation. This then, according to Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 1, is the revelation or the unveiling of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. I love reading and studying the Bible, and as you read and study the Word of God, you'll discover that every book of the Bible has a key which in turn unlocks our understanding to that particular book of the Bible. Well, the key that unlocks our understanding to the book of the Revelation is actually hung at the front door. In Revelation chapter number 1 and verse 19, the Lord speaks to John the Beloved and says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Here in this single verse of Scripture, you and I are given the structure to the entire book of the final book of the canon of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 1, John did write about the things which he had seen. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, while writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, John wrote about the things which were at that present moment. And then beginning with chapter number 4 and continuing through the final chapter of the book, John really did write about things which shall be hereafter. That is to say, the events that we read and the events that are recorded in Revelation chapters 4 through 22 are the events that will ultimately take place after the church has been raptured from the earth and the church age has drawn to a close. Therefore, it goes without saying tonight, there are more chapters devoted to the things which shall be hereafter in the book of the Revelation, the rapture, the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign than any other subject in this final book of the Bible. However, I can assure you this evening, ladies and gentlemen, enough has been said concerning those things which are, in order for you and I alike, to gain great understanding pertaining to where we stand with the Lord Jesus right now at this present moment as a part of His church. I believe it is because of that the Lord has directed our hearts tonight to this the latter portion of Revelation chapter 3 where John the Beloved can be seen addressing God's letter to the church of the Laodiceans. This, of course, is the last of the seven churches that God addresses within Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And prophetically speaking, I realize there is a practical as well as a personal application to the churches. But prophetically speaking, I believe the church of the Laodiceans is symbolic of the church age in which we are living right now at this very moment. And the reason that I say that, because this is a church that had said, according to verse 17, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and have need of nothing. 
When you study about this church, you'll discover that the church of the Laodiceans, complacency had become the order of the day. The Laodiceans were casual, to say the least, towards God and the things of God. They were content with the way things were. Now, do you see the similarities of Christianity in the year of 2021? Think about it. Complacent, casual, content. Complacent, casual, and content. Brother, if those three words do not describe the average run-of-the-mill independent Baptist church of our day, I don't know what does. However, the Lord said in verses 15 and 16, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And therefore, having considered what thus saith the Lord, you and I can come to this sobering conclusion this evening. The church of the Laodiceans was, quite frankly, the church that made God sick. To the world, as well as in their own minds, the Laodiceans were rich. They were increased with goods. But God said in verse 17 that they were wretched and miserable and poor. To the world, Laodicea was a city of great progress, a city of great vision. Yet God said in verse 17 that they were blind. To the world, Laodicea was a city of high fashion. Yet God said in verse 17, they were naked. The Laodiceans were much more interested in clothing themselves with the fashionable fine clothing their city had been, become known for other than clothing themselves in the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, when you and I see the Lord Jesus in this final letter to the churches of Asia Minor, we see Him in verse 20 standing outside the door of the church, knocking And we see him seeking admittance. Jesus said again to the church of the Laodiceans, according to our key text, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I'm preaching tonight on the thought, the tragedy of leaving Jesus At the door. You know, I've always found it interesting while studying this particular portion of the book of the Revelation. Here in our key text tonight, you and I read of one of three different doors the Lord is careful to mention in this final book of the Bible. First of all, look with me in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 8. In Revelation 3 and 8, here we read about a door of service. The Bible says, I know thy works, as God speaks to the church of Philadelphia. He continues to say, Behold, I have set before thee, what? An open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 8, you and I read of a door of service. Now, I see another door in Revelation chapter number 4. 
in Revelation chapter number 4 and verse 1, I like to call this door the door of the Savior's return for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, after this, John writes, after what? After the church age is over. Remember John when he was writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He was writing of those seven churches and each church is symbolic of a different period in the church age. So by the time you get to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, when John says, after this, he's speaking of after the church age. After the church has been removed from the earth. After the church age has come to a close, John said, I looked, and behold, what? A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So yes, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, you and I see another door. I call it the door of the Savior's return for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But here in the text before us, in our key text tonight, we see yet another door. I like to call it a door of supping. And I use that word supping because it is the word that Jesus used in the text before us. It is actually a Middle Eastern term for fellowship. So let's dig into the truths of the Word of God tonight for just a very few moments. Here in our key text, we witness the Lord Jesus actually standing outside the door of the church and He's seeking fellowship. Can you imagine? Oh, it breaks my heart to even say that tonight. The Lord, the Lord who in the beginning, according to the earlier verses of Revelation chapter 2, who in the beginning was in the midst of the church, now stands outside the lazy, lethargic, lukewarm assembly of the Laodiceans. And there he knocks and he seeks admittance and he seeks fellowship. And so for the next very few moments... I'm going to still notice three truths directly from the Word of God tonight that I trust God will use to do much more than challenge us. I pray that He would use these verses to change us tonight to be more like Christ. Now, I, I think it's imperative that I say this tonight. I have heard preachers use Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 as an appeal for sinners to be saved. And look, I'm not going to fall out with a guy over that. I realize there is an application that can and should be made concerning sinners' need of a Savior. But when you really study the context of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, it's not making appeal for sinners to be saved. It's making an appeal for those of us who are saved to be supping. It's making an appeal for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us that are saved by the goodness of God. This verse makes an appeal for us to get to know the Lord better, to be in fellowship 
with Christ. That's why, Pastor Haley, we need no less than real revival this week because I assure you, the enemy will do anything he can. He'll allow things to enter into your life. And if you're not careful, before you even realize it, man, you're not reading your Bible like you should be reading your Bible. You're not as faithful to church and the things of God as you should be. You're not as excited about serving the Lord as you one time were. And Jesus stands outside our heart's door and he knocks and he seeks admittance because he longs to fellowship with us. Three truths directly from your King James Bible tonight. First of all, notice number one, the position of Christ. Now this is very interesting. Earlier, as God began speaking to the churches of Asia Minor, we witnessed the Lord Jesus walking in the midst of the churches. Can I prove it to you? Turn with me in your Bible, if you would please, to Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1, look at verse 12. Revelation 1 and 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, what do these seven golden candlesticks represent? Well, let's allow the Bible to answer that question. How many of you know tonight the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible? God tells John according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Look at it with me. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are what? The seven churches. And therefore you and I can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the seven candlesticks represent the seven churches that God is using John to write to in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Now, listen to what God said in His letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh where? In the midst. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In fact, if you'll back up to verse number 13 of Revelation chapter number 1, when John first sees the Lord Jesus, he sees Him in the midst. When he sees Him again in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1, John sees Him walking in the midst of of the seven golden candlesticks. He's walking in the midst. He's fellowshipping with them. He's supping with them. He's spending time with them and they're spending time with Him. Oh, but as the story progresses, 
as the church age quickly moves along. By the time we get to the final church age, by the time we get to our key text tonight, isn't it amazing? Oh, how heartbreaking it is. The Lord is no longer in the midst. By by the time God addresses the church of the Laodiceans, as we consider His position, He is standing outside. He is no longer welcomed. He is no longer wanted. He's standing at the door and He seeks. And he knocks and he speaks. He wants in. There is the potential of fellowship, but there is no fellowship. There is the potential of supping, but there is no supping. Do you know what that assures us of tonight? That assures us of this truth. There were things on the other side of that door that the Laodiceans wanted more than they wanted fellowship with Jesus. And preacher, here we are. This is where we're at today. So many of us, including the one that does the preaching, When it comes to a personal, intimate walk with Christ. Isn't it amazing how much time we can make for other things, other people, other plans. And some way or another, we never get around to working on our relationship with Jesus. You remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3? I mentioned it in my message yesterday. Paul said this. The greatest Christian that ever walked in shoe leather said this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Listen, if Paul had a desire to know Christ in a more intimate, a more personal way, how much more should you and I see the need to know Jesus better? Do you want to know how you get to know somebody? somebody? Spend time with them, right? I'll tell you a funny little story. This is a true story. I was blessed to serve our country for six years in the United States Navy and while I was stationed on board the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower for the first four of those six years that I was blessed to serve, I come home one weekend and I met a young lady and I asked her out for an evening meal. And she consented to go with me, so I went to her house in Elkin, North Carolina to pick her up and take her out to eat that night. And as I went to meet her at her house, she said, look, would it be okay with you if I introduced you to my best friend? I said, well, certainly. She said, well, my best friend works at the Elkin Public Library. And that day, this young lady took me to the Elkin Public Library and she introduced me to a young lady by the name of Cassandra Miles. And as soon as I extended my hand and as soon as Cassandra Miles put her hand in mine, I'm telling you, it's like fireworks went off. Now, some of you don't believe in love at first sight. Well, you'll never convince me of that because as soon as I saw that young lady, I fell head over heels in love with her. 
And if you're wondering, don't worry, that's the lady that I eventually ended up marrying. <laughs> but there was a problem. Two months from the time that I first met her, I was, I was leaving for a six-month deployment. So I had two months to win her heart. So I didn't have any time to lose. I had to get busy. So I got her phone number and I eventually called her and this is how the very first conversation that we ever had on the phone went. I said, look, my name is Scott Caudle. You probably don't remember me, but Melinda, your friend, introduced me to you the other day at the library and I just want you to know I'm leaving two months for a six-month deployment and I just feel that I should tell you that I love you and I'm going to marry you. That was our first conversation. You say, well, preacher, how did that work out? For well, you see where she's sitting tonight. <laughs> so I had two months to win her heart. I had two months. Now listen, that was the days before email. That was the days before FaceTime, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, if you're going to be in contact with somebody from the other side of the world, you're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to write letters. She saved all those letters I wrote her, by the way. There's probably 200 letters under our bed at home right now. She saved every one of them. But I had two months to win her heart. So you know what I did? For two months, if I had duty on the weekends, I would pay somebody to stand my duty because I wanted to get to know her better. And if I was going to get to know her, I had to spend time with her. I had to let her know. I had to show her by my actions that I wasn't just all talk. I meant business. And so every single weekend for two months, she was going to school at University of Greensboro at the time. I would either drive four hours from Norfolk, Virginia to go to Greensboro, or I would drive six hours from Norfolk, Virginia to Elkin, North Carolina just to spend time with her. Do you want to know how you get to know somebody? you got to spend time with them. Amen? I shall never forget. I think it was on a Tuesday night. I went out to the payphone. I'm really telling my age tonight. I, we didn't have cell phones then. If you was going to place phone call, you, he, you had to go to the cell phone. You had to go to the pay phone, rather. The pay phone out at Pier 12 in Norfolk, Virginia. So I uh, scrounged through my locker, got two or three dollars worth of quarters together, went out and put them in a pay phone. I was going to call Cassie. I wanted to get to know her. She was at college that day and she had had a rough day that day. I don't remember what had happened, but I remember she was crying on the other end of the phone. It was a Tuesday night. I remember telling her, honey, I'll be right there. And I hung up the phone, went to the parking lot, grabbed one of my buddies off of the ship and said, hey, his name was Paul. I said, Paul, come and ride with me. Four hours later, we were sitting in Greensboro, North Carolina, at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. I spent 30 minutes with her, 30 minutes with her, because the dorms closed at 11 o'clock at night, and they ran me out at 11. I got there at 10.30, spent 30 minutes with her, turned around, drove four hours back to Norfolk, Virginia, because I wanted to know that I meant business about getting to know her. How do you get to know somebody? You've got to spend time with them. How do you get to know Jesus? 
Got to spend time with Him, man. Can I ask you this? And I'm moving. Have you spent any time with Jesus lately? Have you been alone with Him lately? Have you told Him that you loved Him lately? Have you done more than just tell Him that you love Him? Have you exhibited His love, your love for Him by your actions in reaching others with the gospel, in living a life that lines up with the precepts of the Word of God. Oh, when we see the Lord Jesus here in Revelation 3 and 20, He's no longer welcomed. He's no longer wanted. He's been made to find a position outside of the door. Oh, how sad it is. So many times when we should welcome Him, we push Him away. When he desires fellowship, oh, how sad it is that so many things we allow to come into our lives crowds that fellowship out. The position of Christ. Secondly, notice the pursuit of Christ. Can I call your attention to the fact that Jesus is not running away from the door, according to verse 20? He's not looking to get away. No, he's standing there. And as he stands there passionately, patiently, uh, politely, he's not only standing, but he's also knocking. And he's not only knocking, he's speaking. Why else would he have said later on in the text, if any man hear my voice and open the door. I'll tell you why. He said that because he was speaking. Do you see the pursuit of fellowship here in the text? Oh, listen, I, I've pastored for 22 years before God sent me to the mission full time. And I've done a lot of door knocking, as I'm sure you have. And you're going to do some more door knocking in the days to come. And I guess... Out of all of the years that I've knocked on doors, if I go to a door and knock and knock and knock and somebody doesn't come to the door, hey, I'm eventually going to walk away. But can I call your attention? Oh, don't miss this. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus never walks away. He's standing there. And as he's standing, he's knocking and as he's knocking, he's speaking. He is the one that is initiating fellowship. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you. But to this fellow from the mountains of North Georgia, it means a whole lot. Just the other day, Brother Brad Wells has become a very close friend of mine. He's the pastor of the Graceway Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., my son is a member of his church. My son is a Capitol policeman and he attends Brother Wells Church, Graceway Baptist Church. He and his wife Amanda are members there and Cassie and I are thrilled they're there. But Brother Wells reached out to me several months ago and he said, hey preacher, he said, listen, would you be willing to come and preach our first missions revival? And I said, absolutely, I'd be glad to. And we got it on the calendar and got it all lined up. He said, preacher, you're going to be preaching at this place we're renting on Thursday night and Friday night. On Saturday night, we're going to have a service on the steps of the Supreme Court. You're going to get to preach on the steps of the Supreme Court. We're just so excited about the meeting. 
And did you know after he booked that meeting, now I want you to listen to what, I, I know this is hard to believe, but it's just the truth. After he booked that meeting, President Biden didn't even give me a call to let me know that he was thankful that I was coming to his hometown. President Biden didn't even call. I mean, didn't even say, hey, Brother Caudill, it's good to see you. Man, I'm looking forward to have, would you come on over? We'll have a cup of coffee together. Not one time. But can I tell you this? The God of the world, the God of this universe, the one that stepped out on nothing and created everything, when I woke up this morning, started knocking on my heart's door, and he wanted to fellowship with me. He wanted to spend time with me. He wanted me to get to know him, and he wanted to get to know me. Oh, my soul, he is the one tonight that is initiating. He is pursuing fellowship. He wants you to spend time with him. And he wants to spend time with you. Mm. The pursuit of fellowship. This very evening, he's pursuing fellowship with you, child of God. Whether you've been saved five minutes or 50 years, the same God that created this vast universe, the same God that stepped out on nothing and created everything, he is the same God that stands at your heart's door tonight, knocking and speaking, he is seeking admittance. Mm. And finally, notice the promise of Christ. Not only the position of Christ, not only the pursuit of Christ, but what about the promise of Christ? Do you see the promise in verse 20? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, somebody say those next two words for me. I will. I will. Not maybe. Not hope so, think so, maybe so. Oh, no, no. Jesus said, if any man, if any man, not just Pastor Haley, but you. Not just the visiting evangelist, you. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Dr. Campbell, here's what I like to call a trinity of promises. In one verse of scripture, God gives three different promises. First of all, he said, if you'll open the door, I will come in. Then he said, I will sup with you. And then he said, you'll sup with me. Three promises in one verse of Scripture. So can I ask you tonight, child of God, in light of this great Bible promise, have you opened your ears of faith? I don't know about you, preacher. Sometimes I get so busy doing good things. Good things. That before I even realize it, the day has passed. And wait a minute. Did I spend any time with the Lord? Wait a minute. Now, I've, I, I've done a lot of great things today. Boy, me and Brother Campbell, boy, we've really promoted Macedonia. We've reached out and we're trying to get more missionaries to the field. And I've helped this missionary in Brazil. And I've helped this missionary in the States. And, but wait a minute. The day is almost gone. And I haven't spent five minutes in prayer. 
that ever happened to you? That's exactly what the enemy wants to happen. Because you see, he realizes he can't, he, he can't rob us of our salvation. But what he can do, he can hinder us from fellowship. So can I ask you this? Have you opened your ears of faith? Because if you'd open your ears of faith, I believe you'd hear him knocking. I've got enough confidence in my heavenly Father. I believe if you had opened your ears of faith, and I believe if you'd listen to him speaking to you through the message tonight, you know what I believe he's saying? I believe he's saying something like this. Hey, I know you folks down there in Elk City. Look, I know you're busy. You got a lot of irons in the fire. But I just want you to know sure would like to fellowship with you. I sure would like to spend some time with you. And he's so serious about it that he gives you three promises. If you'll open the door, I will come in. Now, I could get excited about that, but he doesn't stop there. I'm coming in for a reason. I'm going to fellowship with you. I want to spend some time with you. And I want you to spend some time with me. You know, I never read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 without being reminded of the famous painting of the name of Roman Hunt, who I believe best captured the Lord Jesus standing outside of a fast-bolted door which represented the human heart. There is patiently and persistently knocks. He seeks admittance and acceptance on the part of those beyond the door on the other side. Tonight, that famous painting hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England. However, history records when it was first displayed, critics came to comment on Mr. Hunt's work. One of them, having gazed at the painting for some time, turned to Mr. Hunt and said, Mr. Hunt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have painted a masterpiece. But I can't help but notice the mistake you made. Mr. Hunt quickly responded and he said, What mistake is that, sir? And the critics said, Well, Mr. Hunt, there's a door there. There's a man knocking on the door. But there is no handle, there is no doorknob on the door. And Mr. Hunt said, that, sir, is no mistake. Because, you see, this door, which represents the human heart, can only be opened from the inside. Now, I know you've heard preachers get in a big way preaching. I think I've probably said it before, too. You've heard them say, oh, I, I remember the day when God barged into my life. No, you don't. God never barges into anybody's life. He never goes where he's not invited. He is the perfect gentleman. But he gives you a promise. If you want a fellowship, I'm up for it. And if you'll open the door, I will come in. And I'll sup with you. 
and you'll sup with me. What a tragedy it would be. Having spent the last few moments considering this verse of Scripture, what a tragedy it would be to leave him standing outside our heart's door tonight when he so longs to fellowship with each of us. You've listened so well. Would you bow your heads with me this evening? Lord, I just wonder tonight if there is a child of God here that would just by faith this evening afresh and anew open the door of his or her heart and invite you to come in. Oh, my Father, tonight, speak to our hearts in a very, very special way. In fact, Lord, we know that you speak through your words, so the question really isn't tonight, are you speaking? The question is, are we listening? Lord, I know we're busy. I know each of us got a lot of irons in the fire. But Lord, I've learned after all these years of serving God, really and truly, we're going to do what we want to do. So I pray, Lord, each of us would determine tonight, hey, I'm going to get to know the Lord better. And the only way I can get to know the Lord better is by spending some quality time with the Lord. So would you help us tonight to see the need to make that come to pass in our lives? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight.